Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard. And deliver the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode. Load versus rep progressions. This is the topic for today. You've been training your hypertrophy workout and you come to your workout. You want to know, should I be increasing load? How by how much? Or should I be increasing reps? By how much? Should I be summing them both? A question of how to make progress and adjust your training session to session. That's what we'll dive into today. For today, we are, this is our first episode on FUAD Media Channel. Uh, just wanted to give our introduction for who we are. If you haven't been following myself, John Jewett, or my co-host, Luke Miller, um, just our background. Like I'm, for one, I'm a IPB 212 Pro. Um, my craft by trade is uh, was a registered dietitian, and just kind of came up that way and started coaching individuals. And eventually, just like probably yourself trying to get better at doing all these things that we do in bodybuilding, asking the whys, the learning, and eventually people want to know why you're doing what you're doing and educating your clients. And now we're at a point where we are coaches, coaching coaches to coach others for physique development across all divisions. Yep. Absolutely. And for me, it, it started with my own personal journey. Um, I've competed six times as a bodybuilder um, and prepped a seventh time, but ended up prioritizing a client show over mine. And a lot of it's just like optimizing that process for myself because I saw genetically I wasn't the most gifted at it. And you just start to perpetually ask questions. And after about four or five shows, I started coaching and realized I, I really loved that process uh, more than anything. And it's just kind of slowly started to develop into coaching and educating. Um, I have an undergrad in mechanical engineering and a master's degree in exercise phys. So been in kind of like the biomechanics realm and then into physiology kind of throughout my area of studies. And man, it just really kind of really came to a head with the coaching. And, and that's where I'm at now is like pursuing coaching and educating at the highest level um, and, and putting my competing to the side to be able to do that. And so with us, like, very similar, what, not too similar backgrounds, but what led to like joining together and having this come into J3 University into fruition, which this is our education platform to raise that coaching standard to where we take you through a full uh, coursework of just how do you be a better athlete or be a better coach from the 101, from nutrition, training, PED usage, supplementation, and how do you put that into coaching someone through a contest prep or an off season? So this is uh, what we do, and this is what our platform is for the podcast as well. So at heart, Luke and I, we are we are meatheads, we are bros, <laughs> you know, but we're also kind of nerds too, and that's where like you know Luke comes from this engineering background. I'm not an engineer, but I love research and reading stuff. But but 
at our core, at our heart, we just love getting in the gym and just beating down on iron relentlessly. So yeah. that's uh, where we try to bridge the gaps for you as a listener between having something that's evidence-based, but also not getting so murky in data and, and the science that you lose sight of just, hey, this is what you need to do in the gym. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and that's where best coaching practice happens. And I think we have something for the listeners today, don't we? For, for everyone listening. We absolutely do. And topic being reps or load progression. And, you know, this, this came about just with uh, some recent research. Um, if you came across that paper, I'll read the title so everyone sees this. It's uh, by uh, Plock in 2022. It's Progressive Overload Without Progressing the Load, Effects of Load or Repetition Progression on Muscular um, Adaptation. Whew. Lots of words. S- simple, simple what happened here. Took 38 subjects. Half the subjects, they train them for eight weeks, whether they're doing a uh, eight to 12 reps, doing legs twice a week, and that group only progressed loads. So they worked up in this within this rep range and they only increased the weight they're lifting. This other group, same exercise, same workouts. However, they only progressed repetitions. And so this comes about like, well, which one's best to do? And that's where it gets a little murky and we're going to we're going to dive into that. Maybe I'll re- reveal like what's the differences as we come to the the end of our discussion here. Yeah. But that's uh, what kind of spurred on this topic. And I, I, I've i got a question a lot of times on how, how much load should you jump up when you are doing your week-to-week training bouts or repetitions? And how, how should we go about that to maximize muscle growth? Yeah, and I think it, I think it all starts with asking the question, like what drives hypertrophy, right? And I think we've talked about this in multiple ways, but mechanical tension at the end of the day is is what that driving factor is. Now, we have to define this as an internal stimulus and all be on the same page about what that mechanical tension stimulus is because it's easy to just say mechanical tension is load on a bar and kind of forget that there's an internal component to that of like how these movements are executed, how well we connect with these patterns for the specific body parts. Can we optimize how much tension is being driven to a body part based on how well these are executed as part of that equation? And even like speed of rep, the rep is performed can contribute to how much mechanical tension is placed on that because speed is a component of that within actually applying force to tissues. So there's a lot of variables that can contribute and then you start to define it that way and then have to go into the dose of the volume kind of like we talk about with blood pressure medication it's like are you providing enough of that mechanical tension stimulus to progress and then this is where you start to get into that battle of like what's better volume versus mechanical tension and just kind of starting to break that down but it all starts with that initial definition of mechanical tension being the primary driver of hypertrophy, and then that being the internal stimulus that I just described. Yeah, I think that gets murky when we, when this like first came out, we were talking about, oh yeah, mechanical tension, perfect. Just add more load, that has to make more tension in the muscle, and that's not necessarily all, always the case. I think back when I started powerlifting, the idea was try to move the most efficient way possible to lift a heavier load. So you get really good at changing your mechanics to more mechanical advantage 
which allows you to lift more, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the muscle's exposed to more tension. At times, you might actually expose it to less because you're uh, moving in a more advantageous way. Think of this as like if you've ever done some manual labor and had to ever use like a wheelbarrow, right? Yep. You load the wheelbarrow. It, try to pick the wheelbarrow up like right at the bottom of the handles, like really close to the, the hole where you're, where you're carrying the load. It's a lot harder that way. But if you move your hands really far back on the handles, it's a lot easier to lift. Same thing when we're looking at um, ways to position yourself in these movements. You can make yourself where you have a really good leverage. It makes a weight to lift very, very easy. Um, so that doesn't mean you're getting more tension in the muscle, even though the load might be bigger that you're lifting. So we can't just say a heavier load equals more tension. So it, it does. It can be influenced by a lot, a lot of these factors. And in bodybuilding, opposed to powerlifting, you're almost trying to find position yourself in the most the, the, the least mechanically efficient way to lift a load. So sometimes you're almost trying to find the, the lightest load to be able to induce that that maximal internal tension, um, which is kind of it's almost counterintuitive what you're, you're thinking to. Yeah, just lift the heaviest load and that can take us down the wrong way to progress our lifts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I think there is a balance to strike because we have to try to be athletes at the same time because you then start going down the, the pink dumbbell conversation pathway when you get into making things as hard as humanly possible, right? And you're just kind of missing out on that potential to drive performance as a metric in which is driving overall tissue accumulation. Because as much as we like to be very specific within bodybuilding training and target tissues by themselves, we can't ignore the capacity of compound patterns and stimulating multiple, multiple groups at a time for the overall accumulation of tissue over time. So um, it, it gets murky. And within that, you have to decide where you take those decisions to be a lot more precise at the sacrifice of load on a bar and where you're taking a little bit more load on the bar for lack of precision. But on the whole, we should start someone with the most accurate movement possible for their capacity to move because we haven't even gotten into how that can influence someone's ability to drive tension to a muscle group within a movement. Like I'm the prime example of this. And this is such a, an example, like a barbell back squat looks more like a hip hinge for me, flat footed than it does an actual squat, right? It's very vertical shin angled hip travel goes away from the bar. And it's like, there's so many iterations of that on a regression pattern that I can use to make it a better overall leg stimulus and a more quad stimulus. I can bring in heel elevation. I can use a safety bar to move that load out in front of me. And now we're still getting that compound squat pattern, but it's putting me in a position at the bottom that is so much more quad biased because God knows my physique doesn't need more glutes, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you big booty hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Same with like, uh, you think of it, guys, like for um, overhead pressing. 
Um, a lot of people are really limited to get externally rotated overhead, especially if you're just like a, a big bodybuilder, um, to where if you are overhead pressing, it's, it could be this really limited range of motion. And also you're just binding up a lot of the shoulder girdle and really just limiting the range of motion you're able to do versus just getting into a, maybe a little bit more of a, a steep incline. Yep. And that gets that range of motion. Uh, you're able to like actually move through that position and not have a load force you through it. Um, and that could potentially lead to a better internal stimulus. So yeah, it's about getting yourself into the, the right positions that you're able to do and not trying to fit the machine or equipment into what you're doing. You brought up something, Luke, about, you know, the the swinging from, like, you know, the extremes. Like, were you ever in an extreme of, of like, taking this, like, load versus rep progression or even with form that kind of led you to be chasing the wrong things? I think for me it was load progression because I – my initial introduction into – Training was like training from an emotional standpoint, like using that as an outlet emotionally for myself. And so that leads into you find a logbook and you find this progressive overload type of a pattern. And then that emotion drives the progressions on a week to week basis, right? Where it's only and solely because you're such a type A individual and you, there is the emotional component to lifting that you get so attached to the logbook, it's like progress at all costs. And I, I even remember, like I, I still look back at this video sometimes of me progressing, progressing hedging patterns. There was, in my last prep that I ended up on stage, uh, RDL was in the pattern, and I was so hell-bent into progressing this hinge that by like five weeks out, it turned into this like Dorian dead rather than like an actual hinge, right? And it, it's just funny when you look back because contest prep four weeks out is probably the last place where you want to let form start to slide in order to chase load progressions because we're just trying to drive a stimulus that's tissue retentive in the first place. So I definitely kind of leaned towards the emotional attachment to a logbook, and it's taken me a long time to pull that emotion away from it, almost to the point where it's like, my emotional attachment now is progressing within the confines of the execution standards that I've set. And I, I won't let myself get outside of those execution standards. So um, that's also kind of come from fixing some injuries, but yeah, I definitely have leaned more towards that side. And I think you were fairly similar. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very similar <laughs> coming, from, <laughs> coming from powerlifting and then going into DC training. We're like, Hey, if you're going to have a big chest, you should have, you know, bench press four or five for 10 reps. You're like, perfect. Y'all just make sure I can get to that as fast as possible. And you just turns into like a strength training program basically. And every week, the idea you're told to progress the logbook and you forcefully progressing the logbook, <laughs> right? Um, all you're doing is like just, just training harder and harder to where eventually every session it's like, you know, you know, hitting the nose torque and cranking like your metal core and then just attacking it. We're like, man, this is like when you're young, it can be sustainable up to a point. Um, you're, I felt like I was a bit more resilient just to be able to go in every session, just smash, but then injuries happen and that's what I would incur. And then that's like where you just have to like, 
have a forced deload, right? Because you just got beat up. So you're like, man, there has to be a better, a better way within this. Um, and, you know, getting back to the, you, what we'd first brought up like this, what drives hypertrophy? And there is the mechanism is this internal tension. And within that, you're going to, within this logbook progression, uh, we should frame it a little bit differently. And when you first go in the gym, you haven't ever touched a weight, you're going to have a natural ability to move some type of load, right? Like you're not, you're not starting at zero pounds. Like you're going to be able to go in and lift something. And that is going to be an initial stimulus to then cause an adaptation. When you go into the gym next time, you're going to be able to express that adaptation, right? Because you lifted whatever. Say you lifted 100 pounds last time. There's going to be a change that occurs that now allows you to lift more or more reps. And if you kept lifting that same 100 pounds that you first did, it's just going to get easier and easier till eventually it's not causing that overload stimulus to occur in any further adaptation. Also to be said within that same strain is that that 100 pounds isn't immediately the next session just inferior and not going to do anything for you. So think about that for the logbook progression. Your last session should cause a change to where you now would be able to have the logbook progress because you're now expressing the adaptation you had from the last session. I know that sounds a bit convoluted, like what the hell are you talking about? But you don't have to proactively increase load and reps to cause an adaptation to occur. Your logbook should be just naturally moving up because you've already had changes occur from your last session. So now the logbook is really a, a, a way to make sure that for one, you're recovering session to session, because if you're having this massive dip and you're not able to keep up with your logbook, you're like, hey, something's going wrong here. Also, your logbook is a way to ensure you have a, a proper plan program. So if you are seeing this progression happen over time, loads increasing and reps are increasing. This is kind of the checkbook of that, hey, you probably have a program where eventually this is going to be leading to hypertrophy gains. So to just proactively increase load reps no matter what, it can be a bit narrow-sided. And that's where like Luke and I made our own mistakes earlier on of that no matter what, you just increase the logbook. Well, we might have a week where we didn't have this like adaptation occur and we fool ourselves into thinking that it did, but we just train harder. You just train harder than the last week and you move up the load and reps. You're like, oh yeah, cool. I'm making overload happen. Just just realize that that overload does not mean you just have to do more by forcing it because you're just training harder. Um, overload should be happening by um organically letting that logbook progress and keeping up, making sure that effort level is high enough within your training session. Uh, Luke, do you, do you want to clarify anything of that or add on? Yeah. So I think the time component of that's an important one to bring up because you get people who like match a logbook from the previous session and think nothing happened. So like load stays the same, they hit the same rep count total, even if they have a better overall stimulus with that set, they let that number in the book kind of emotionally drive them into thinking, I didn't make progress this week. And when we bring it back to like that internal stimulus, we have to understand that that connection is part of the equation. And so we can have a set that's still, if you did week one, hundred pounds by 10, and then week two, you did hundred pounds by 10, but 
you connected better with it. Form was a little bit better. Like this is still a progressive stimulus over time. And then also for the more advanced athlete listening, allowing yourself to zoom out on progressions to longer time blocks, because once you get past the relearning of a movement being plugged in the program, taking those progressions week to week get a lot harder because the performance is so high. And I think this is kind of the point where we start to bring the conversation back to the potential pros and cons of do we take load progressions or do we take rep progressions within like the actual program? Like where does that fit in this? And there's a lot of context to be had within that, but I think we can start to map out where one is potentially more advantageous than the other, point out how rep progressions can be harder than load progressions at certain points because of the total amount of work that's being done um, and start to kind of map that out for the end user so they can start to strategically progress their program over time. Because once we start to detach ourselves from the emotional side of one or the other, we can actually start to objectively look at how do these strategies push us forward as a physique athlete. Yeah. And, and so I, I should go back and just say, Hey, like the outcome of this research paper that we were looking at by, by Plotkin, uh, basically found that hypertrophy was, uh, insignificantly different between these groups. So whether the group was progressing load or progressing reps, there wasn't a meaningful difference and change in this quadricep cross-sectional area. Uh, and, you know, w within that, that doesn't mean that there still doesn't have a takeaway of application here for what you should be utilizing because certain, for one, we have this pros and cons of when one might be appropriate over the other. And exercise choice kind of factors into this. Um, if you have a, a bicep curl that you're doing and you're doing, say 30 pounds on your bicep curl for 10 reps to move up to the 35 pounds and stay within this rep range target you're trying to hit could be really challenging. Um, it's, it's a very slow way to make a, uh, a load progression on some of these isolation movements where the, the load isn't very high. Cause you think about, uh, that might be like for, um, say a hundred pound lift going up 10 pounds, that's a 10% increase. Uh, while you might have a one rep progression could also be a 10% increase. So it does vary depending on what that load is. So for a 30 pound dumbbell going up five pounds is a, a drastic percentage change in that. So for your like lower load movements, isolation movements, rep progressions are going to be had at a little bit quicker pace. So that might cater well for that. But say you're doing a squat with 300, 400 pounds to add five pounds to the bar. It's a very small percentage increase for that week. While a rep increase could be a much larger percentage in that instance. So this is where I find, Hey, your, your load progressions can do really well for your compound movements where there's a, a lot a high load to be to where there's a small percentage increase, but isolation movements with very low loads, you probably focus more on, on rep progressions. And, and that's how I would differentiate around just exercise choice and the progression. Yeah, I would agree. I think the only side conversation to have with that is the risk associated with compound movements, mm. depending on where that rep range is 
spending more time at a load if it's needed. So like, especially within like squatting, this is where I see it messed up the most is like someone's trying to do, let's say eight to 10 rep ranges, the target rep range. Mm. And they hit a load for eight. And even the eighth rep was like a little bit dodgy. It's like, this is a place where potentially those low jumps, like the risk associated within that is high from an injury standpoint where we just need to spend more time at that load. So that would kind of like be the only context I would give to that progression model because from a percentage perspective, it's absolutely correct and how I run my athletes, but also keeping them within the confines of staying safe and being able to progress over time because taking a squat pattern at like a dodgy eight to a very solid eight and then a ninth might be what's needed before we're able to handle the low jump. Um, and it may even be a conversation of regressing that load to where the last rep looks like the first rep um, before we even think about load progressions. Yeah, and that's where you have to have that standardization. Like week one, what are we doing, right? It's like setting the standard for how we want to execute every single rep and trying your best to not deviate from that. Of course, that's where uh, video footage can be helpful. They'll kind of review back. How does this lift look actually for four weeks ago? And keeping in mind that if you are someone, oh, even advanced or not, that you don't have to make the load rep progression every week, right? Like just the the improvement and improving your connection with, with the movement, a stricter execution, that in, in and of itself could be a, a better adaptive stimulus than what you're doing the prior week. Um, and... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That gets into some of this of like, yes, we talk mechanical tension is this main driver, but you know, pe some people chase the pump or muscle mm. soreness. Uh, I think these are good, like, uh, could be indices that you're getting some good tension in a muscle, but it's not the end all be all. Right, so right. some people like if, if, you know, if you improve the execution on movement, potentially, yeah, you, you very well might see more of a pump in that, in that exercise, in that muscle group, uh, just because you have some metabolite accumulation from tension. It's kind of like a, a side effect of mechanical tension, but that might not always happen. Like in a lower rep range, you, you might not have like a, a massive pump like you do in a higher rep range. So that's where we shouldn't get into chasing the pump, but you have at least something subjective to go off of, of, Hey, this, this is going to be a good stimulation for that area. Same with muscle soreness. You're like, oh, I changed this pattern of how I did it and I got sore the next day. It's like, yeah, that, that might not always be the best case either. Um, some of that goes into recovery. Some of that goes into like maybe novelty of an exercise, but don't think you need to chase muscle soreness either. So, you know, going back to what, what Luke said, yeah, it's like standardizing your execution that's going to give you that best outcome and trying your best not to deviate it, but also not going to the pink dumbbells, right? To where, you know, you're, you still are able to increase load when you are eight, when you are at the ability to do so. Yeah. And I think that conversation is where the fatigue management starts to come into the realm of the talk because 
a lot of fatigue management issues come from people chasing reps that aren't within their realms of actual progression in that that last rep to two reps don't look anywhere close to the first and second rep. And as a result, they're like compensating to drive this tension and taking themselves beyond what they can actually handle, which on a per rep basis is driving more of a fatigue stimulus than an actual uh, internal stimulus. And so this is where we see people go down the rabbit hole of like running into needs for deloads like four or five weeks into a program is like you're already chasing these reps that aren't even within the realms of doing that. And honestly, I find we we will talk about contest prep in depth in later episodes, but it's essentially just like fatigue management across a long period of time. The people where it's a lot easier to manage are the people who fully understand the slow rate of progressions on a week to week basis when the last rep looks like the first rep. That doesn't mean not train hard or not take everything you have on the table. It means get in there, get after it, go where you got to go to get everything out of that movement. But let's not take movement patterns to a point where the amount of stimulus they're providing for hypertrophy and the amount of fatigue that it drives per rep that ratio starts to go a lot higher fatigue, a lot lower stimulus, which is where we see that when that execution goes out the window, this is where John and I made our mistakes kind of in the beginning because we were so aggressively chasing and forcing the logbook progressions, that set would start to drive up more fatigue than it would actual stimulus because we were going out of the confines of the execution we had originally set at the start of the block. Yeah, I think just uh, what you might see in your program is like, if that's happening, usually your, your subsequent sets after your first sets, like drastically will drop in reps. Like that's what I'll see in some individuals. Then also like your performance will pretty quickly drop off or be very, very hard to make the progressions week to week to where you're like, oh man, maybe I'm doing too much volume. Then you start dropping back in volume to reduce fatigue, but now you're getting into, you're turning your program into a strength training program at, at that point. So that's where you have to be careful where, yeah, keeping that strength form and being able to not chase after those reps that are just going to just bury you into a hole. And it, it caters well for like someone that's beginner to advance because as a beginner, you could train really far from failure and have like an adaptive stimulus but they are going to break down way faster in form than someone that's advanced. And within that thread too, like that beginner needs like time practicing that lift. So more sets would be appropriate and farther from failure. Cause I, I've seen some people that say, Hey, beginners train to failure right away. Like they're pretty low risk. Yeah. But we want to instill like that pattern earlier on and have them practice with it and make the easy gains, man. Like why, why would you want to have to train to pit, play all the ACE cards right away? But as you get advanced, like you're able to control the, that, those sets all the way up closer and closer to failure. And when you need to be doing so as, as well. Now within this spectrum too, of, of, of fatigue management, um, I see it could go, like if you're going too low in reps, like for like a squat or a big compound movement, like the psychological drive needing to lift this heavy load for this low rep set alone is drives a lot of fatigue management can just fry yourself uh, neuromuscular wise that can impact your entire session and just accumulate a total lot of fatigue for the rest of the week. Like uh, that can impact all your other training sessions 
the same goes for like really high reps, like doing a, a 20 rep leg press or something. Uh, those last reps are just, man, they're burying to where like, you're like, you know, like trying to gas your, gain your breath, like the rest of your session and your performance will vastly drop. So there are places for those things, but on the far ends of the spectrums of load and reps, like both can drive a lot of fatigue that's, that's hard to manage. So it's uh, trying to make sure you can uphold that performance throughout your entire session but also keeping in mind that you're going to have another workout to do in the next day or two. So when you're making your just one set or just that one session, so bearing that you can't fulfill that requirement that, Hey, you have to perform the rest of the workout and have other training sessions a week. That's when you need to reconsider how you're structuring your load and reps ranges for these exercises. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, like, look, like hypertrophy is a forgiving adaptation, right? We, we have evidence of anywhere from six to 30 reps kind of matching outcomes from a hypertrophy perspective. Coaching needs to bring that psychological portion into play where program writing is specific to what that person can psychologically manage. Because as we start to get into the volume exposure portion of this conversation, I, I like the blood pressure medication example we use to kind of describe this of like, if you used 40 milligrams of telmosartan to manage blood pressure and then your blood pressure starts to rise and so that 40 milligrams is not managing your blood pressure anymore, typically you either have to add more telmosartan or you add in a secondary blood pressure medication, right? There becomes more of an exposure to that medication in order to manage the outcome or create the outcome. Where training volume is very similar in that when you introduce a program, there's going to be a place where, you know, you're kind of creating adaptations, you're learning the movement patterns, but that exposure to that stimulus is going to need to increase over time in order to continue to create that adaptation. And you just need to find the medication dose or the volume dose that allows you to drive hypertrophy for that person, which is where when we talk about volume driving hypertrophy, it's not the primary stimulus that mechanical tension is. It's just dosing the mechanical tension stimulus at a high enough frequency for that person to progress. Yeah. So just to make this a, 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 a simple digestible thing for, for everyone is that when we talk about volume, we're talking about hard sets. We know these hard sets need to be pretty close to failure to cause that amount of full tension across all muscle fibers. So hard sets, that's what we're talking about with volume. You're going to need an X amount of hard sets for others that might be a little lower, a little higher. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, so I, I think to put this into something of like, Hey, how should I make load rep progressions week to week? Like what is the takeaway here? What do you actually do with that type of information? And uh, I think, Luke and I, before we could even like put this into a conceptual framework to, to, to actually even explain what to do, I think we were just kind of intuitively doing it. We kind of learned like where to make load progressions or rep progressions and, and, and how to even manage your own effort too. It's, it's, I want to say it's almost becomes intuitive, but at the same time, maybe auto-regulated sounds a little nicer. Um, <laughs> 
So, cause I don't want to like put out, yeah, just intuitive training, bro. It, it should be like, there should be some planning and, I, I didn't really come across of like how to verbalize that until I think, I think it was Brian Miner that actually put this into words that were uh, just a better way to teach a programming was uh, dynamic double progression. You're like, oh great, here comes a bunch of uh, <laughs> other, other words. And dynamic was just a cool way to basically say auto-regulating your load and rep progressions. So I, I think this is a, how I basically program week to week, what I'm going to be doing session to session. I don't think we should have for most people, not always case, but um, just pre-programmed load rep progressions. Now for a beginner. Yeah. That's someone where you're training far enough, probably away from failure that you could pre-plan these things. They also don't have much intuition built in yet to know how to regulate effort. But once you get someone that's, you know, intermediate advanced, which, uh, likely most of the people that listen here to this podcast are kind of in that realm. Like you've been training, you kind of, you get the idea here is that with, within this progression, what I would set up for my, for my exercise is a rep range to work within. Mm. So for hypertrophy, you have a broad range. Again, it's going to depend on the exercise type, but let's call it eight to 12 reps. So we're going to have a squat eight to 12 reps. And we need to have a number of sets that we're going to do, right? So let's say we're going to do three sets of squat, eight to 12 reps. So getting away from just progressing on load and reps, our main thing that we're going to set is going to be our effort level. Because we know we have to reach a certain effort level in the set to have it be stimulatory for this hypertrophy adaptation. So we always want to make sure that our sets are hard. Now, how hard? Oh, man, that's a big conversation itself. For right now, we're just going to say, within a close proximity to failure. One rep shy, two rep shy, like there's gonna be wiggle room within here and in places where if you want Luke and I just talk about failure training, we can. But let's, for this example, just say a one RAR, one rep shy of failure. That's the effort level that you hit, the hit on all these sets. So we start out our first week, we start with our 200 pound squat. Your first set, you do 10 reps. You know your rep range is eight to 12 reps. You had a one RIR on it, perfect. What are you gonna do for your second set? Well, you have your first set to go off of, so you, maybe you stick with that that weight. The second set, it's gonna drop down because you're fatigued, so you, maybe you hit eight reps. Now, oh no, you're at the bottom of your rep range. Well, how do you move back up in the rep range? Easy, you decrease the load. So now we're just regulating the load to stay within the rep range but it's predicated on always hitting that effort level for our sets. And so then we maybe we, we drop the load down and then maybe your reps go back up to 10 reps. Now, this first week of training, you have something to go off of for what you wanna do for the next week. And so what I do is when someone reaches the top of the rep range for a set, we then could increase load. So if you have that squat pattern, eight to 12 reps, if you get up to 12 reps on any one of those sets, we would then take a small load increase, those reps could drop down. And so this is how the double progression happens. You're increasing load, getting to the top of the rep range, and then once you do, then it, then it pulls back down. And this accounts for, and, and I won't just keep talking all along here, but it accounts for someone's you know rate of adaptation. So some people are going to adapt faster than others. Some are gonna be slower, right? 
So it's now kind of auto-regulated. So you're keeping up with the adaptation at your own pace. We're not going to force someone to always add load and reps that might quickly bury them down, right? They're not going to be able to keep up. Others might be going really fast. We see that with PD users, right? You add in some some super sups and all of a sudden like load rep progressions really take off. Well, it accounts for that. It also is going to account for someone's readiness to train. So you might have a week where, hey, I didn't sleep that great the night before. You might not be able to progress that much in that session. Well, that's okay. We're accounting for it, right? Versus versus another way to make, make adaptation occur and we're just accounting for always adding load and reps. Like that might be way too much for you that day. So this is a way to auto-regulate that approach through your own um, rate of adaptation, but also your readiness to perform for the day. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I think uh, the last piece that I would add is I use a very similar model, but I flex it according to the psychology of the client. And so let me kind of dive into that because I have some clients where their fault is they just want to chase load psychologically. And so rep execution kind of goes out the window in order to make that load progression. So when you use that model, they progress the squat set up to 12 and they get so aggressive with that load progression. And I know they psychologically, that's how they do it, that they may get eight or, or nine on that set, but they've started to let that form slip and put themselves in a place for high risk. So with that athlete, I'll actually use like a plus two on the rep range because I know how aggressive they are with the low jumps. So I have them progress that that squat up to like 13, 14. So plus one or plus two on the rep range before I let them make the progression from a load perspective. Now, if they're a little bit more advanced or a little bit more accurate with their load progressions, I'm probably going to let them stick with that model. Um, and then occasionally letting them be an athlete, right? Like, um, if they're, if they're feeling really good on a day, they feel like they can execute a higher load and they're at 11, making that, giving them the ability to make that judgment call to make the load progression at 11 instead of 12. That's rare. And that's very few athletes on my roster. Um, because most of the time I do lean towards that, but, um, of that strict 12, but I do have a couple people where I know how fast their form gets out of whack and they've gotten injured because of it. And so I actually will use like a plus two on the rep range because of it. Yeah. I think you have to put a a restrictor on the rate of load progression. And so like in programs, like I'll have like, most people aren't calculating percentage of load, but it might, you know, it might be, Hey, on a, on a compound lift, like we can add a, a five to the bar or five pounds or on a, you know, a, uh, depending on the muscle group, upper body exercise, maybe it's a two and a half on the bar. This is by level, right? Um, so you might have someone you could you could add like twenty pounds on like a leg press or something. That's not a big deal. Then allow the rep progression to happen. 
maybe that's a few extra reps that then gives you the checkbox of like, all right, next session I could take that same load progression or a slightly higher, um, but you're never just all of a sudden, because it used to be like, man, to make a progression, you just add like a 25 onto your hack squat, right? Like you add 50 pounds on, like it's like this huge load progression. That's that where it could get kind of dicey and injurious, right, over time. So it's like, hey, take the small load progression at first, undershoot that, overshoot the rep progressions, then you can always adjust for that that next session. But that's also where, hey, you need to really be honest with yourself for standardizing form and also standardizing the effort level you're training at because that's what we see is guys just start moving faster or altering form in those Rep, reps that are at the end where they get more challenging um, and, and training harder to where, yeah, you're making progressions that you shouldn't be making, that you just don't have the ability to make just yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could also potentially propose phase-specific progressions, don't you think? Yeah. As far yeah. as like all-season versus contest prep? Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, in the, in the off-season, you're going to have the ability to drive more progression uh, within a contest prep, that's going to be a lot, lot different as it's this, the inevitable accumulation of fatigue where eventually we're probably just maintaining strength at some point, gym performance. Um, so the idea of, of, of still it's, it must be auto regulated to where you're training those sets up to that standardized effort level. And then you adjust for the subsequent sets off of what you just did in the logbook, right? To maybe maintain for that day. Yeah. Uh, I used, used to be like with prep, it's like hell bit on progressing lifts, uh, just like you were in the off season. And man, that was, that made the hardest preps. Like you're, you're so buried. Yeah. So buried all prep because you can't emotionally just, dial it back you don't know how to do that you like i you, basically you only know how to train like to near near failure or or add it um mm. and that is where i have a lot of guys with similar psychological profiles that that come to me it's hard to train and train out of that and understand like how to emotionally remove yourself uh with with some of those sessions that yeah, you, you barely should just be matching what you did last time, if if able. But it's still predicated on training up to that effort level that you have set. Yep, absolutely. So, look, I think for the for the the audience listening, it would be valuable to give some like general recommendations of like where to start. Um, if, if you didn't think there was anything more to cover within load versus rep progressions and kind of give them a start point for some of their programming and, and kind of get them moving um, towards that, if you, if you think we've covered load versus rep fairly sufficiently. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure there's stuff that we miss. And if there is, like, if you have questions, I mean, y'all are always welcome. If you're watching a YouTube, shoot them below. Like, Luke and I can a answer that for you. And it might spur on other, other episodes and, and podcasts for y'all. Yeah, I think I think where I start within program design is like assessing your level, right? Beginner, intermediate, advanced, because when we look at how many total sets to do in a, in a program, beginners are going to be kind of in that five to 10 per week per body part. 
advance 8 to 20. We're going to start on the lower end of that. So start for intermediate advance 8 to 9, 8, 9, maybe 10 if you have one you're specializing more towards a bit. Um, and then set the standards for your logbook from a load and rep progression and execution progression with a couple reps in reserve that first week. And you can progress the first few weeks of the program by just slowly removing that. So psychologically, wherever you fit, you can start somewhere around, for most people around two reps in reserve to one rep in reserve is fairly accurate. I tend to lean towards two just to kind of like, hey, let's get a really accurate viewpoint of where you're at. And then you can slowly titrate that out with week two and week three, where week three is pretty much zero unless the risk is not warranted for that uh, movement. Like a squat, I would not be taking a squat to zero, like a free a free barbell squat. Um, and then you're just using that dynamic double rep progression to progress the sets that you have in the program. And as you go through it, you can kind of add sets based on recovery capacity kind of through the weeks. Yeah. Um, such a rep range targets, you know, based around the exercise you're choosing, right? So on your big compound movements, like these cater really well to six to 10 reps. Some might be better for eight to 12 reps. Then isolation movements, I like to place those usually 10 to 15 reps, sometimes 15 to 20 on those, but, but really like the, the rep range that probably 75% of my work is within is, is in that eight to 12 rep range target with, with some dipping inside and out. Um, like, like Luke said, like there should be a progression in the effort level and we lean into more holding like a, a stagnant reps and reserve. I mean, I know people like are going to give shit for even saying like reps and reserve, but even people that don't use that counting system are still using it. It's just a way to account for it. So if you look at anyone that says they trained a failure every set, they don't, <laughs> they don't like, I've never done that. Like, can you imagine just burying every squat till you have to like crawl out from underneath it? Like that would be moronic. It would be crazy to do. Um, it, and unproductive, you know, we, there's a recent paper that just came out looking at this exact thing. And, um, Shaking every set to failure, like failing, um, generates so much more fatigue that it would it would detriment all your other performance and it, probably to an underproductive amount of volume that you could do. Now, that doesn't mean you train way away from it, failure either. So, what with getting back to the point here is that usually when people come in when I'm first training them, there's so much that I can still pull out execution wise to make that more st stimulating set. I don't, I don't need them training that close to failure just yet. So starting off someone at two RR, getting accustomed to the program, you know, taking the easy progress. Then the next week, Hey, add a rep on to what you did the previous week. And that should move them a little closer to that one RIR in some movements. Uh, for most compounds, that's usually where I live is that one RIR because that's kind of a, a safe spot to be and not dipping too far into like the zero RIR where you're crawling out from underneath the squat rack. Now, there's some movements where like a, a compound uh, machine press, you know, that, yeah, you, maybe that last set, you could be at a zero. Um, but then our isolation movements, 
uh, basically you just take it to you can complete the last rep under very strict form. And and once we get to that point, execution wise, which might be like week three, kind of hold that relatively constant. That's our effort standard, right? And then we're just like we talked about, we use that dynamic double progression to move someone up that rep range, take small load progressions and just adjust from there. At some point, you're going to be feeling the fatigue occur, feel more cloudy, brain fog occurring, not as motivated to train. Usually I try to plan this out to where we land about that six to eight week mark. And that's when we would deload. Now, a whole nother topic is going to be, you know, regulating these, these training cycles and regulating volume. But what I would just leave here is that if you're always feeling great training with this volume level that you have set and at this effort level and you just always feel amazing you might be doing a little bit on underdosing the volume you might need a little bit more um now if you're quickly getting buried we talked about this earlier like week four into the program you might be overdoing the volume hell you might even be overdoing the effort level too so you want to be able to string together probably six to eight weeks of good productive training. And if you're undershooting it or overshooting it, that's where you should be adjusting the program. Yep. I agree. And, and just the last piece to that is when you get to that deload, it doesn't mean you have to change exercises, especially for like relearning a new exercise takes time and can take you away from the progression. So if you don't have any niggles or injury profiles, like do your deload, kick on with the movements you have in play and just continue that until you feel like movements get pretty stagnant. Yeah. Well, like I said, that'll wrap up our load rep progressions. Um, excited to be on the channel and bringing you all the education side of programming for uh, physique competition. Any topics you'd like for us hit, you're welcome to leave them below. We can check them out. Give us some ideas uh, for this introductory episode um, we're leaving in the link below a link to J3 University. Usually we open the coursework only the first three days of the month, starting on the first Tuesday. Uh, just for this episode, we're going to open it for the next three days. If you use the link below, we're going to give you $100 off of the entire J3 University course. It's, it's all safe, self-paced. You get lifetime access. We have 70 lectures within that covering everything A to Z. Luke and I are in there in the forums answering questions. We have live streams that we do so you get access to us for all of your questions. So check out the link below. Join J3U if you enjoy this type of nerdy but rubber meets the road um, way of pursuing your physique. So, you know, thank you everyone for, for joining in, listening. Appreciate y'all. And we will talk to you next time.